0: Amen. Thank you for joining us for our Sunday School lesson, Bible Studies for Life, as we continue on in our series, Set Apart a Life Lived for God, out of Philippians chapter 3, and verses 12 through 21. This is session six, as we look at growing in Christ is like a lifelong journey. This is August the 20th. 2023, the third of the Elu, 5783 of the Hebrew calendar. Now, when we look back, we, live, we look at it and we realize that this series deals with how that we can live unashamed. The emphasis in this study is particularly sanctification. What it means to live set apart in God, growing to be more like Christ. And so as our walk with christ deepens our lives increasingly they point to christ the one who has set us apart hallelujah and so we live unashamed of who we are in christ and so we started out with session one set apart the holiness of god in psalms 99 verses 1 through 9 session 2 set apart by christ in romans chapter 6 Verses 5 through 14. Session 3, set apart, but not alone. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Session 4, set apart in the way that we think. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, and skip down the verse 9 and go down the verse 13. And session 5, set apart in the way that we live, and 2 John 1 9. And then here this morning, session 6, apart for the journey. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Now, as we look at this, we're reminded that the greatest changes in history are happening right now in our time. You know, hey, the digital age has reconfigured our world. Things that were once thought unimaginable have come to pass, forever altering our lives. They do things with TV that... Uh, Walt Disney took years to do when they were doing animation. It's estimated that our world has undergone only about 15% of the changes expected from the digital revolution. People everywhere feel stretched and sometimes torn by the never-ending changes that we're enduring. It's not just a new automobile that becomes old as soon as you drive it off the lot. Technology, about as fast as it comes out, it's already old and being redeveloped. Many people today are struggling as the digital age disorients and sometimes dehumanizes people. How do we navigate the turmoil of such an ever-changing world? I know doctors that didn't want to make the changes with all the paperwork that doctors have to keep up with. And so, you know what? They either retired or they went into uh, private practice in a sense. But followers of Christ recognize the signs of the times and they understand that God has placed us here where we are for a reason. And we live at the tip of the spear between heaven and earth and as part of the kingdom of God and as citizens of earth. We are certainly in this world, but we need not be of it. We are set apart, a life lived God. And what we're going to be learning is how to live our lives set apart in such a way that it brings good to us and glory to God. Think about that for a little bit as we get into the uh, book of Philippians in just a a few minutes that you'll begin to realize uh, uh, what's transpiring. And so uh, here as we look and we begin to realize that uh, uh, as we go forward, that um, the starting line for every one of us, when has a completed project been worth the wait? I don't know about you, but I I can't stand to get behind on certain things and and I I can't stand to to, uh, fall so far behind that uh, I've got to work myself into a frenzy to get caught up. Uh, And and so uh, being able to complete a, a project Uh, Sometimes it's worth the wait when you're talking about architecture, buildings that are wonders of the world, that maybe even like the Statue of Liberty, how long that it took to build it, the money that was funded. And yet you look at our our natural uh, history and you go back and say, wow, that's amazing. Well, that's how you answer this question because here we see St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, Austria, and the church was named after Stephen the first martyr and it was constructed in the mid-1100s, but was rebuilt, renovated, and restored over centuries. You know, it isn't the largest or the most ordinate cathedral, but it's stunning in other ways. Look at the magnificence of this building. Our world values what is seen and immediate, but some things like precious architecture and Christian maturity can't be rushed or easily uh, uh, qualified, quantified. Excuse me. In other words, a spiritual growth is an instant, as we will see, because sanctification is what we're talking about, and it takes sometimes a lifetime, but the results are worth the effort And so, as we see uh, a statue of Stephen, and here, there's stones that's in the scripture of the Bible. Oh, man, can you imagine? I see Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand. I see Jesus over in the promised land. Work is over, now I'm coming to thee. I see Jesus coming, standing for me. Man, you know, what an old song that Stephen took a beating for the gospel. And so, when we look at growing in Christ, some of the things that we'll be talking about, growing in Christ is a lifelong journey. And also, sanctification is a continual journey toward Christ-likeness. And then, spiritual maturity comes as we follow the example of mature believers. And spiritual growth is not complete until our glorious transformation in heaven. Amen? I'm glad. I'm getting ready for the rapture. The Lord's coming back just any time, any time, and I'm packed up and ready to go. Hallelujah. But I'm growing in Christ all these years. And so, we look at ourselves and we see the eight signposts of discipleship are Bible engagement. The transformation can be recognized when our mind is sharpened by the Bible and our perspective is shaped by the Bible and our actions are directed by the Bible. Now, I'm going to pop up scripture. I'm not going to read all of them, okay? But I'm going to pop them up because for the sake of time, I'll be longer than I should getting through this Sunday school lesson, but I'm very informative about teaching this, and I want to share some scripture that deals with Bible engagement, that deals with obeying God and denying self, and so each time I read one of these, I'm going to pop up the scripture. Boom. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, I'll tell you what, let me go for it. All scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for changing in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of them. Uh, I'm going to uh, hopefully challenge someone to watch this PowerPoint to where they can see them for themselves, but I'm going to pop them up in between each. The second uh, uh, signpost of discipleship is obeying God and denying self. Discipleship is the process of obedience to one who is in authority over you. Transformation can be seen when we progressively set aside earthly de- delights for kingdom priorities, amen. And so three, serving God in others. Transformation is evident when personal needs and even dreams are set aside for the needs that we see in others. Sharing Christ even with the need to live out the effects of the gospel. mature believers know that speaking about the message is a necessity. Transformation is evident when we talk about the source of it. And then exercising uh, faith. Transformation is seen in believers when risk risk, aversion is set aside and our lives are challenged to uh, obedience to God's will. And so, six seeking God. Transformation is seen when our desire is to know God more deeply and experience His work more fully. Building relationships, our faith is personal, but it's not intended to be private. Our horizontal relationships should develop just as our vertical relationships with God does. The transformation is occurred when relational maturity is evident in our lives. Unashamed, as that goes back to what our theme was of how we live unashamed. Transformation is evident when a believer is unashamed in presenting their own life as being aligned with Christ. You know, the the old adage is that if you aim at nothing, then you're going to hit it every time. But at the very heart of Christianity is that the disciples for Christ, it should never sit on the fridge of our life or the church. Through working on these uh, segments to better recognize when we are effectively reaching toward that goal we develop the signpost of discipleship with Bible studies for life. Amen. And so let's follow the leader. As we're growing, as we grow up, spiritual growth is a journey, a process that involves consistent effort in multiple areas. Which of the disciplines listed do you need to spend more time developing? Huh? Maybe you want to circle one, daily Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, with believers, service, journaling, giving, but we've got to make a plan to incorporate more of this discipline into our lives. And so, how do you decide what you should remember and what you should forget in, uh, in your Christian journey? Well, you know, in the past, Paul had done this through behavior modification. That was before he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. He was what you call a Sadducee, Uh, And and so uh, he had to do it through behavior modification. And the Jewish understanding, righteousness was mostly understood as outwardly conforming to the demands of the Old Testament law, particularly the Ten Commandments. And so in the New Testament, being set apart has to do with a, hallelujah, a change of mind and heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And such a person no longer has to obsess about behaving and quitting bad habits according to Colossians chapter 2 verses 20 through 23. Instead, by consistently surrendering to God's Spirit, we increasingly have power over the sinful desires of the body. Galatians five sixteen. This is what it means to live in, notice how it's highlighted, love, truth, and obedience. This is what it means to live in love, truth, and obedience. Paul was committed to do these things until Christ called him home to heaven. Praise God. That's how we uh, get, uh, uh, get through uh, these days and uh, be able to remember and what we should forget in our Christian journey, amen. And so, in what ways has the example of mature believers helped you in your spiritual journey? Man, I'm going to tell you something. All them uh, old men of faith and older women of faith, they took me to school. They taught me firsthand. They were the ones that did a transformation, watching their very lives and watching the faith that they stepped out on. And so they are the greatest teachers. You can get a seminary from all of our older folks that are mature, but then there is some older folks that really are not mature because they've not really been doing it that long. They've just been for a little while. But I'm glad those ones that are so mature in it that they've been consistent in their life. We need to engage. And as you pursue a spiritual transformation, let go of the past mistakes. Focus on the promises. I'm going to reiterate that again and again, but focus on the promises of the future instead. And in Christ, all our sins have been erased. It is far as the East is from the West that our sins have been forgotten and our future with him is guaranteed. What is something from your past that you need to let go of? I'm going to pause there for a minute and let you think about that. Draw a picture or a symbol to represent this. What is a spiritual goal that you are pressing on towards? Hmm? I don't know about you, but I want to save as many. I want the Lord to save as many as he can save, whether you can draw or whatever. The main thing is we need to be praying every day, and I'm fixing to have my prayer before I get to the scripture in just a minute. But we draw a picture our symbol to remind us of the goal that we're running toward. We're running every day toward a goal. That God has a purpose for all of our lives. And so, day one, we start out this past week with holiness is a continual process. As we're fixing to read Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14, God expects believers to exhibit holy, living, righteous deeds in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. But we must understand that none of these have any bearing whatsoever on earning salvation. Pay attention. Pay attention. As Charles Stanley would always say, listen, only God can declare us righteous. And he does so because of what Christ did for us, not by what we can do for ourselves. Of Philippians chapter three, verses nine through 11. Earlier, Paul went into his genealogy. Paul began to tell him, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm this, I'm that. But you know what he was saying? He said, none of those, made me righteous. None of those saved me and made me holy. But holiness, when I got it, I got it on the Damascus road. It was a continual process, but I was not that because my mom was righteous and my dad was righteous. I didn't get on the wagon of the gospel because of them. I had to get it for myself. Some people look at those things and they say, oh man, my mom and my daddy was a Baptist and I'm a Baptist and I'm saved because they were saved and because they was a Baptist. Why my goodness, it's almost like the story of the guy uh they began to tell the story about, well, you know, what what is your uh well I'm uh and there's so many Baptists out there that uh you could uh you could be uh, this Baptist and that Baptist and uh uh all kinds of Baptists. But I'm gonna tell you, let me quit chasing that rabbit. Christian perfection isn't possible on this side of heaven. First John chapter one verses eight and ten. Paul admitted as much, but made every effort to take hold of it in Philippians 3:12 that we're fixing to read because of what Christ had done uh, in him. Paul wanted to please God. He wanted to, uh, the believers in Philippi to understand him more of a lifelong journey than a lifetime destination. And then every one of us, as we look at the words and as I read the scripture in just a few minutes, to indicate that Paul understood about growing in Christ, that it is a lifelong journey. And so, Freddie Cardoza is a dean of Grace Theological Seminary, School of Ministry Studies at Grace College. Freddie oversees the faithful execution of the mission, a vision for the School of Ministry Studies. He's committed to advancing the kingdom of God by expanding the size, the reach, the impact of the school, the faculty, the staff, and the dynamic programs that they offer. Freddie also serves as professor of Christian ministry leadership, and in this capacity, he equips Christian leaders for ministry impact, trains disciples to wield the Word of God and the power of God for the glory of God, and I quote Freddie, uh, should I say, Dr. Freddie Cardoza, and I quote, our world values what is seen and immediate, but some things can't be rushed or easily uh, quantified. Sanctification takes a lifetime, but the results are worth the effort, unquote. And so, let's pray. Father, we come before you, thanking you for your grace in the gospel. Hallelujah. We thank you for your redeeming love. For a Savior that was born in a stable, crucified on a cross, raised up in the clouds, sitting at the right hand in glory. Altogether, Father, fairer than 10,000. How sweet the name of Jesus. Lord, to every ear that is listening this morning, Father. Lord, as as you calm the sorrows, heal the wounds. And Lord, as you drive away all fear. Hallelujah. We thank you, O Lord, for the convenience uh, of saving us. Because, Lord, you did something for us. That, Lord that, uh, uh, Lord, that you made a way that wasn't so convenient for everybody else. You went and paid a price for all of our sins, and you established a covenant, Father. And, Lord, that ordered in all the things a word of promise, Father. That would never leave us nor ever forsake us. That in the depths of woe, when we pass through the fire of the deep waters, Lord, you will not abandon us. You will not give us over to our enemies, Father. Lord, hallelujah, even Satan himself, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, Father. Lord, we resist him steadfast in the faith. And now, God, I pray. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would just touch the many. Lord, as we pray for Denise Davis, Lord, as... Lord, our cousin, Lord, I pray that you, Lord, your will that you would heal her and bring her back uh, to good health, Father, and bring her back out of uh, uh, Tennessee, Father, uh, all the way up there in the hospital. Lord, I pray for Barbara Yarber, Lord, as uh, our uncle, and uh, here's Lord, our uncle Clinton has just passed, and she's dealing with all that grief, Father, and heaviness. I pray, Lord, for uh, uh, Sister Betty uh, Black, Lord, our aunt. Lord, that fail and, Lord, was having problems, Lord, uh, that were very challenging, Lord. I pray, uh, continue to pray, Lord, for my pastor uh, as well, Lord. I pray, Father, for Keith Dempsey and his uh, wife, Amy, Lord, our first lady, uh, Lord, for her, her lupus and, Lord, all the that she's been going through and challenging, Lord, and I also pray for their new addition of their twins for their family, Lord. That's, uh, Lord, a lot of work, uh, but, Lord, I oh it shows the the great love that was represented within their marriage. And I pray for their health and safety and security, Father. And I pray for all of my families, Lord. I pray for all of our pastors, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And now when we get into the word of God, Lord, that's precious, that's powerful, God. I ask in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord, in these times, Lord. That, Lord, that every silver lining to every cloud of all the sweet promises of the gospel— that you have for each and every one of those, Father, for where the death angels come over to Bethel Crossroads, Father, for our head deacon, uh, Brother Cantrell, and uh, the ones, the other ones that I may not remember, uh, uh, Lord, their names, but I pray for their their grief and their heavy hearts, Father, and I ask you, God, to intervene and to do for those that are going through financial difficulties, uh, going through uh, uh, stressful times on their job. Uh, family problems, Lord. I pray for uh, each and every one of my uh, family members, wherever they may be at, Father, to watch over them, keep them safe. And Lord, I thank you for saving us by your marvelous grace. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. All right, let's get into that word. Philippians chapter 3, starting off in verse 12, not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, you know what? I know I'm not perfect, but I'm going to name off a couple of things that he's talking about because in this, as we look at this, uh, we realize uh, some of the great things, and that is Paul did not count himself as having yet attained. He had not yet, uh, he was not yet perfect perfection is the great end of every born-again believer. That's what sanctification is all about that we're waiting for, the final part. But God has apprehended or laid hold of the believer for one reason only, and that is to perfect the believer, to make him or her, so that we can live and worship and serve Christ forever amen oh i'm telling you i'm getting ready for the millennium hallelujah i'm getting ready for the marriage supper of the lamb praise god boy that's going to be the most beautiful wedding you ever saw in your life when the church comes together hallelujah hallelujah man you ain't never saw a wedding like that one praise god in the coming days and so boy i'm going to tell you no person achieves perfection on this earth and so the brain and the mind have been estimated that man only uses what One-tenth of one percent of the mental capacity. And imagine how far short this is of perfection. Huh? I'm speaking about me. I don't know about you, but I can talk about myself. And so consider the body. What would a perfect body be like? A body that never desired, thought, or did wrong? That never came up short? That never aged? That never deteriorated? That never died? That never decayed? The examples could go on and on and on. But no, Paul says he had attained perfection. He was always emphasizing how far short he was. And so, I'm going to tell you something. Beyond doubt, Paul was one of the greatest men that had ever lived. We know because of the word that he left behind that shows this. But if Paul was so short of perfection, how much further are we? Way back there, way back. Remember, I'm speaking for myself. I'm going to tell you, no person achieves perfection on this earth, but Paul gives us five significant things and that is Paul followed that to perfection after his God-given purpose. And when Christ saved Paul on that Damascus road, that was just the beginning, not the end. In hallelujah, he'd been saved to live for Christ, to serve Christ. As long as he was on this earth, he was going to live for Christ and do all that he could for Christ. Praise God. There was no place for walking, much less for sitting, lying around in comfort and complacency. Christ had saved Paul for perfection. He was on this earth to press and to run after perfection. Hallelujah. Get up off your Nothing. amen paul was going to do all that he could to help the lord and the lord's task to perfection him he was going to do all that he could to lay hold of perfection the perfection of which the lord had laid hold on him and so paul worked at forgetting the past praise god every one of us when we look and realize that that verse of the enormous thing now these are going to cover probably down to verse 16 but i'm laying it all out right here right now amen Because this is an enormous help to believers who have failed God, miserably have failed him. Paul had so failed God. Why, man, he went after the church. Why, he's the reason they stoned Stephen, man, uh, that I started out with, uh, that they had a statue of, man. He was always confessing how far short that he came up, amen. Paul faced what so many of us face, failure and shortcomings, struggle to forget it and move on. How does a person do this? Well, it is one of the most difficult things in all the world to do. But I'm going to tell you something, especially difficult if others are not forgiven and willing to let the believer put his failure behind him. But one thing, but this one thing I do, Paul said, in one focused act, we must forget the things that are past and reach forth to those things that are before us. He said, Paul worked at forgetting the past, amen. Paul pressed on toward the goal, toward God's purpose in Christ Jesus, hallelujah. And so, What is God's purpose for us in in, uh, Christ Jesus, huh? What is his purpose? Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's to be conformed to the image of Christ. And, And so to be perfect, even as he is perfect, once we're perfect, we'll be incorruptible and eternal. Once we're perfect, we'll live in honor and glory. Once we're perfect, we'll live in God's perfect presence and power, amen. Tell you, once we're perfect, we're going to live worshiping and serving God eternally, amen. And so perfection means eternal life, a perfect life that never ends, that goes on and on, does the thing that God created us to do. And perfection means the eternal life of Jesus Christ being conformed to the perfection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus And so Paul said, kept his mind on growing and maturing in Christ, amen. And so, all believers are ordained by God to be perfect in Christ Jesus, and we shall be perfected in the glorious day of redemption. Therefore, as many as ordained by God to be perfected, listen, keep our minds on perfection. Sometimes it's difficult to do. Oh, me, I'm speaking for myself again. We live in a world that is gripped by the lust of comfort and ease, pleasure and plenty, possessions and recognition, indulgence and extravagance, more and more and more. Oh my goodness. God will not let the genuine believer rest his mind on righteousness and purity. And the gospel and witnesses, God pricks our hearts. He, uh, he reveals that we are failing and coming up short. God stirs us to get our minds back on living like we should upon pressing for that perfection. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect in Matthew five forty-eight. But I'm glad Paul maintained the growth that he had already achieved as well because too many live up and down lives. Up one week and I'm down the next. I'm down the next week. I'm up the following week. I'm on a roller coaster. Too many live up and down lives. Oh, man. We gain some discipline and some growth. Then before too long, we slip right back. Whoop! We jump on the wagon. It may involve maybe lying, stealing or cheating, devotions or prayer time, control of our thoughts and mind, discipline of our body and habit, growth takes place, but then some circumstance or interruption takes place, and the new man and the new growth are forsaken, and we slip back into being that old man living just like we used to live when you know that you're not supposed to, because when you're saved, you fall under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, but notice, take what you have learned and obtained and walked by that rule, keep your mind upon that rule. And so, as we go forward, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forget those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Stop looking back. That's not your future. Stop looking back. Uh Uh-uh. And look forward and go forward. I press toward the bark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to win the prize. The prize is Jesus himself, amen, just being around and being with him. And so we're fixing to read verses 15 down to verse 19. Paul wasn't just expressing privately held beliefs, but biblical truths breathed from the very mouth of God. And these truths are meant to be studied, understood, applied to life. Having earlier told them how to experience the grace, righteousness, and power of God, Paul insisted that mature believers live up to the truth that they have already attained. By this time, Paul had walked with God for several decades, actively pursuing intimacy with Christ. He had endured tremendous challenges, hardships, weighty ministry responsibilities that are hard to fathom. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 30. And so, it is in this man that the Apostle Paul, who is teaching his deepest insights about the Christian life to the Philippian believers, having had the experiences he did, Paul instructed those who considered themselves to be mature Christians to think as he did about uh, their uh, future life. And so, sharing our journey can help others with theirs. Let us therefore, in verse 15, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. For thank God as we look and realize. He goes on, Nevertheless, whereto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You know what? One of the most important passages in the Bible has to do with the example that we set before the world and before our families and friends and the way that we live and what we do Hmm. influences people. I don't care who you are, we may not want to influence them, but it does not matter whether we want to or not. They're influenced, family, friends, children, everyone who knows us watches us. They follow both the good and, I'm afraid, they follow the bad for our example as well. And it may be conscience or unconscious, intentional. Are unintentional we may be willing or may we may not be willing for them to follow in our steps and it matters not they follow our example we influence people by how we live and by what we do and if we follow good and do good it encourages them to do good if we follow bad and do bad it sets a pattern of bad before others it even causes some in particular the young and the immature uh, to think that since we can do it and still go along fairly well that they can do it and get along fairly well as well but listen the life that we live it sets a pattern for others to follow and so others are going to follow us no matter what we do we must live our lives on the highest plane possible hmm ain't nothing like you kinfolk uh talking about church one day get on social media and cussing like a sailor talking about drinking Boy, what an example! Hmm. We must mark those who walk as examples and follow after the great traits of their lives, and we and you know we must take those who live as examples and dissect the traits of their lives and apply uh, those traits to our own lives. Because every one of us, uh, marking those who walk as examples for every one of us, verse 17 is saying some walk. As examples. Here in verse 18, he's saying, Many walk as enemies of the cross. He says, For many of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so, because of the book of Olympians, his Holy Scripture, it was inspired by God. It's true. And when Paul spoke, he was not just expressing privately held beliefs, but biblical truths breathed from the very mouth of God. These truths are meant to be studied. And so, I'm going to skip very quickly. Paul was likely in his late 50s. By this time, he had endured tremendous challenges, hardships, ministry, responsibilities that are hard to fathom. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's role of being an apostle provided him experiences that few others have ever known. And so, he knew what it was like to hear the actual voice of the resurrected Christ speak to him. Acts 9-4. He had experienced the life-giving vitality of the Holy Spirit flowing through him for people to be healed. In Acts chapter 14, verse 10, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, and he had witnessed God's use uh, he had uh, he had witnessed God use Paul's own human voice to drive demonic spirits out of possessed people in Acts chapter 16 verse 18. He understood what it meant to have the Holy Spirit anoint a person with supernatural inspiration, and for that of God to be spelled out by His own hand in 2 Thessalonians 3:17. Paul had an acute memory of the time that he had been called up in the presence of God and heard. Uh, the heaven revealing the secret things known only to God when he was caught up into the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 2 through 4. And so these experiences have deepened him spiritually. No person had more influence, uh, influence on Christianity and the church than Paul. And so certainly he had done more to advance the kingdom through his church planting uh, apostolic ministry. Yet despite this, his view of himself only decreased over the years of his life. And after his conversion, Paul called himself the least of apostles in 1 Corinthians fifteen nine. Later, he said that he was the least of all the Lord's people in Ephesians 3, 8. And then one of the last letters he ever wrote, he claimed to be the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1, 15. The earlier pride Paul had understandably but regrettably possessed had now been swallowed up by humility. More and more he was becoming like his master, having had the experiences he did. He instructed those who considered themselves to be mature Christians to think as he did about the Christian life, having uh, uh, go through uh, the experience, the grace of God, the righteousness of God and the power of God Paul insisted that mature believers live up to the truth that they've already attained. Paul was living out what was probably the remaining one to two years of his life, and he knew that he was speaking to a mature group of Christians, and he was intent to help them grasp the depths of his knowledge of Christ. Without shame or pretense, Paul called them to look to his life as an example of how to live and acknowledging the pain that he felt because many people refused to repent And he urged the Philippians and us, by extension, the church, to follow the example of more mature believers we know, so we too may become mature in Christ. In verse 19, we see uh, that many walk as, uh, as he said, as enemies. And so, whose end is destruction? whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, whose mind earthly things. You know, every one of us, when we look and realize that uh, no believer should ever claim to think that uh, that he or she has come anywhere close to perfection, but every believer should follow Christ with so much commitment and diligence, excuse me, that um, we become a dynamic example for others. Every believer should be able to say, hey, follow me, and let's let's be like Christ together. And so, uh, we mark those who walk as examples, but second, because many walk as enemies of the cross. Who are the enemies of the cross? Many commentators say they're hypocritical, false believers within the church, those who are nominal. Christians they they say that the word walk is used of Christians um in Philippians 3:17 and it refers to church members as well and so Paul would weep only for the false believers within the church it's true that Paul could have been referring to false hypocritical believers within the church but every unbeliever both in and out of the church walks as an enemy of the cross whether the leader of a nation or the movement who is set on wiping out the church and the cross, whether a professing believer who really doubts the substitutionary death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But listen, it is a common thing for believers to weep for the lost. Certainly Paul wept many times over the lost of the world, not just over the false believers within the church. And so, who are the enemies of the cross? It seems best to take the verse for just what it says. There are many who walk as the enemies of the cross, and no matter who they are, and whether within or without the church, unquestionably, the enemies of the cross are a lot of people, many, many, but I'm going to tell you, their end is destruction. If a person stands as the enemy of the cross, he or she shall be destroyed, and it does not matter who he or she is, either within or without the church, they're going to suffer, and they're going to spend eternity in the depths of hell. They, uh, Uh, They are only living for this life, and that's all they've got. So live it up because that's the best heaven. That's the only heaven you're going to ever see is in this old dirty, dusty world that we're in today. Their God is their belly, their appetite, their sensuality, their possessions, their property, their houses, their furniture, their appetite. Uh, their position, their success, their pleasure, their sex, their acceptance, their social standing, their money, their wealth, their honor, their fame. Could I say any more? I want to tell you that is something else. Think of all the things that people, when a person has a craving and an appetite for all of these, they become their God. And before long, their craving is taking up so much of their energy that they're very little, if any, time for God or anyone else because that appetite and craving, uh, their belly becomes their God. And it's sad that that's the world that's out there today. And so, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Galatians chapter 2, 20, and Philippians 1, 6, Paul's role as an apostle provides him experiences that few others have ever known. He knew what it was like to hear the actual verse, uh, the voice of the resurrection Christ speak to him. And so, I had already said this once, and I'm not going to say it again. I'm going to skip right on for my sake of time. Growing in Christ again is a lifelong journey that concludes when we die, and this is a journey only taken by those who are Christians. Christians are called by a variety of names in Scripture: saints in Ephesians 1:1, sons and daughters of God in Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. First John three one, brothers and sisters in Christ, Matthew chapter twelve, verses forty eight to fifty, disciples in John chapter thirteen, verses thirty-four and thirty-five, believers in John three sixteen, beloved in first John three two, the Bible frequently refers to Christians as being those who are saved. Mark chapter sixteen, verse sixteen. Romans ten nine. We have a home in heaven. We are citizens of heaven, and that means we belong there and we are not trespassers, guests, or aliens, but people with heavenly passports to gain entrance to the presence of God, and the doctrine of salvation is a key pivotal teaching that's in the scripture. Here we see the distinctive of the aspects of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, and and so justification is our initial salvation. It refers to the moment that we're first saved while Our coming to salvation in Christ through justification is often a long process that takes years or even decades, and then it concludes in an instant. That point in time is the moment of saving faith. This happens when we place our trust and faith in Christ. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, at that precise moment in time, we pass from death to life and in a twinkling of an eye, we're born again. In uh, uh, John 3, verses 3 and 7, God, due to the righteousness of Christ in his blood shed on the cross, declares us righteous. We're saved at that moment. The process of sanctification begins. The essence of what it means to be set apart, and sanctification has both an instantaneous and a lifelong aspect to it because we are justified. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed upon us in 2 Corinthians five twenty one, We have been past tense, other words sanctified in Christ, Hebrews 10.10. And in that sense, there's a full and instant aspect to sanctification, positional sanctification, the progressive aspect uh, uh, to sanctification growing right now in this life. Then we continue to happen until God receives us into his presence. In Philippians 1.6, it is God that sanctified us and we cannot make ourselves holy. He sanctifies us by the truth of his word in John 17, 17. And when God's work for us is complete, we will finally be saved in the final, ultimate sense. This is the process of glorification, the last aspect of our salvation. The moment that we pass from this earth in physical death, we're going to appear with him, share in his glory, Colossians 3, 4, and we'll ultimately be changed and glorified At that time, we'll put on an imperishable immortality in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 down to verse 54. Let me pause it. That's why I'm reading this, because it's very explicit. And I'm reading it because sometimes in Sunday school, we'll just skim over it. But I want you to hear every bit of all of the aspects of what salvation is, from justification, glorification, sanctification, every bit of it, all the whole thing. So at the end of time, the effects of sin will be undone for those who are redeemed, of us who are redeemed, and this is when God makes all things new. We will then live forever in perfected, everlasting bodies in God's presence with all believers of all times. This is the promise and the eternal hope of the believer, and it will be accomplished by the power that enables God to subject everything, uh, as Philippians 3.21, but at that time, we will truly be set apart. And so, how do we balance living as citizens of this kingdom as well as the next? Well, when we read Philippians uh, verses 20 and 21, that will answer that question. The three distinct aspects of salvation, again, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification, the moment that we're first saved, while we're coming to salvation in Christ through justification, is that often long process. I know I'm reading this again, but repetition is one of the best teaching lessons for Sunday school, and I want this to be something that sticks in your mind, because at that precise moment, we pass from death to life, when we place our trust and faith in Christ, and we're born again in John 3, verses 3 and 7, God declared us righteous, we're saved, and then the process of sanctification begins. What it means is to set us apart both instantaneous a lifelong aspect it's happening right now to continue until god receives us into his presence and god sanctifies us he can't make uh we can't make ourselves holy he sanctifies us by the truth of his word and then the final step of glorification when we meet christ face to face forever boy for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the savior the lord jesus christ And so, every one of us, when we look and we begin to realize that we must walk with those who walk as examples because the believer is a citizen of heaven. And so, the believer's life is to be heaven-centered for his citizenship in heaven. Amen. And so... The Philippian believers knew exactly what it meant to live in one place and to be a citizen of another place. They knew exactly what it would mean to, to live upon the earth and to dress as a citizen of heaven and not of earth. And so, believers are to live as citizens of heaven and not of this world. Amen. And so, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our our body that it may be fashioned like unto this glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And so when we look at verse 21, the believer's life is to be focused upon the return of Christ uh, because he is to be looking for the Lord's return, constantly looking every day. Hallelujah. Uh, Lehman Strauss makes a strong point when he says, and I quote, The greatest of in any country on earth is the visit from its chief emperor. History records the most elaborate preparations, memorials for such an event. Special coins have been minted, commemorative stamps issued, highways built. Looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a highlight of the Christian expectation and we should be dwelling daily in his thought of his return. And imagine how the residents in your neighborhood would feel if the president of the United States had announced that he was making a personal uh, appearance in your community. I feel certain there would be some special preparations for his coming, unquote. Well, if not, you're going to be an embarrassment. (laughs) Amen. And so I thank God. You know what? Every one of us, he tells us that who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Boy, I thank God each and every one of us as we go through life. The believer's life is to focus upon the glorious body, uh, he and he and she to receive when Christ returns. Right now, the believer's body is vile. That is lowly and humiliating, deteriorating. The uh, the human body is so lowly and humiliating uh, because uh, all the earthly chemicals, the human flesh, uh, the the were subject to sin, selfishness, evil, destruction. And because it's so weak, it becomes sick and diseased, injured and maimed, aged and deteriorated, because it's corruptible and dying, aging and mortal, offering no hope of everlasting beyond a few short years, no hope whatsoever. Yes, I'm talking about my body. I don't know about your body. (laughs) But listen, the Lord Jesus Christ shall change the believer's body and fashion it and make it just like his glorious body. Hmm. Hallelujah. And so, the most wonderful thing, the permanent, constant, unchangeable being of a person, our permanent, unchangeable body shall be fashioned just like the glorious body of Christ. Imagine to have a body that is permanent, constant, and unchanging. Mm, man, no getting up with all the pains and the, uh, the diabetes, the heart problems, the cancer. Oh, Lord, we, uh-uh. we're we going past that, hallelujah. How much, how is all of this possible? Well, the power of God, that's how. <laughs> the very power which is able to subdue all things to Christ. The very power that created the world, all that is in the world, the sovereignty over the world, to control it, to subdue it, to recreate it, to transform the body of man, every bit of this. Listen, I'm going to tell you something that's how it's done. And so, here, growing in Christ is a lifelong journey that concludes the presence of God. I've done said, I've done read this, and I'm just putting it up again because I am a repeater. First Thessalonians, it tells us, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. and I pray God your whole spirit and soul body be preserved blameless and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, how can our group, how can I, help one another live as citizens of heaven while we eagerly wait for Jesus here on earth. Live it out as we grow in Christ because the Christian life isn't a sprint, but it's a marathon. If it begins the moment of salvation, it doesn't conclude it to the moment that we enter the presence of Christ. And in the meantime, we got work to do. Prepare, initiate, invest. Prepare, memorize Philippians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. When you're discouraged by setbacks in your spiritual walk, look to Christ. Remember that he has power and authority over everything. He is guaranteed your future transformation. And so prepare, initiate. We grow spiritually through the examples of others. Initiate an intentional relationship with more mature believers who inspires you to grow in your walk with Christ. And so prepare, initiate, but invest. Others grow spiritually through our example. Pray it forward by investing a less mature believer into an intentional relationship with you to help that person grow in his or her walk with Christ. Amen? And so, onward and upward, our one desire to press on closer to Jesus, one direction to press toward the upward call, one direction to walk as a citizen of heaven. Hallelujah. And so, as I close out, we're set apart for the journey. Heavenly Father, thank you for your rich and your precious word. By your spirit, by your truth, Lord, we bear deep, deep, uh, overflowing uh, words of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. May it bring action, and Lord, may it change our lives to get up and not look back, but focus forward. And Lord, get busy for Jesus. We ask all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Bible Studies for Life. Thank you for tuning us in. Darrell Bailey, Servants for Christ.